you know, the just continuing, um, you know, with really what God is doing uh, here, the, the greatest thing that you can do while you're here in the program uh, is not, you know, be clean or get through, you know, everything that's going on. The greatest thing that you can do is learn how to cherish, uh, you know, times of worship, learn how to cherish the presence of God. Um, you know, there's, it's just, it's our victory. Um, and, um, and I hope that, you know, that's, you know, if you come out of Brooklyn Teen Challenge with nothing else, even though I know that that's not possible, if you come out with a, a joy for the Lord, uh, you're going to come out with so much more. But if you come out with nothing else, I mean, that's the main thing. You know, that's the main thing, uh, a true, genuine uh, heart and desire for the Lord, because that's what's going to carry you and carry each and every one of us through every season, through every trial, through every through all of the process that God has for us. Um, and um, and I'm and I'm grateful for that, that we're in a place that uh, that believes that and cherishes that, that our our leadership is uh, that's that that's priority. Amen. Um, I'm also grateful because uh, as I get to introduce our, our speaker this morning, uh, I get to introduce uh, a woman who lives that out um, and who has been an, uh, an extreme blessing, uh, obviously, in, in my life, and, uh, and I'm so grateful for her. And um, I'm going to share just a, a brief scripture. I think I always feel sometimes, oh, I put a picture up here because a lot of people don't understand uh, what what just the substance of what it means to uh, excel and prosper at life, you know, and we see people from time to time and we see their giftings, but we don't always know, you know, the life behind it, you know, in our life, I saw a diagram the other day, uh, our lives are like an iceberg to where we see the giftings and we see all the, the glorious things and all the things on the outside, but all of the work that goes into it and the service and the trials and the persevering underneath it all is what makes all that stuff happen. And this is my favorite picture uh, of my wife because it, it, is, it means like everything, you know, what this picture communicates. And this was a random picture that I, 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 I took at a park while she wasn't even paying attention and has probably has no idea that I even have it. Um, but if you look closely, you know, there's three little boys there who are busy about life and they're into their things and they're looking for snacks and they're playing games. Uh, but my wife is there washing feet. Uh, we just played at a playground and, 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 and this is her life and this is who she is. And we're a ministry that believes in the, the, um, the ministry of women and the calling of women for the things of God. And we will always believe in that and we will always stand behind that. Uh, but it's things like this that, that make her qualified. You know, it's things like this that make each and every one of us qualified. It's not whether we can speak. It's not whether we can sing. It's not whether we can, you know, raise money or lead teams. It's are we willing to get down on our hands and knees and serve and wash the feet of those who don't even understand what's going on in a moment? Because I can promise you that out of all of the things that happen in my boy's life, it's moments like that that they don't even realize. 
that is going to drastically and powerfully transform not only their lives, but their families' lives and everybody who's to come uh, in, in generations to come because of things like that. And that's why I wanted to share this picture because this is not just my wife, you know, and the love of my life who has blessed me tremendously, uh, but this is a person who has a genuine heart for the Lord uh, and, and who lives a life under, in the shadows, outside, not underneath the lights, um, but her, her prayer life, her, her commitment to what God has called her to in this season uh, is unwavering and unmatched. And so that's why I'm honored today and blessed today that God has called her uh, to lead us and has given her a word that she has labored over for the last week <laughs> intensely. And so uh, would you give a warm Brooklyn Teen Challenge welcome to Mary Kitchen. <laughs> Thank you so much for that warm welcome and that amazing introduction. Very, uh, very uh, well put there. <laughs> awesome. Let me get myself together here. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again. I'm excited to be here and speaking with you this morning. And um, I, uh, honestly, what God has put in my heart to share with you is just going right in line with what he has already said and done in the time of worship for him that we just had. Um, so I'm excited, and I want to speak to you today about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, if, we, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'll give you a second to turn there. Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to kind of be jumping all over the place today, and I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you, so just get ready, bear with me, get your pens out. <clears throat> all right, here we go, Philippians 2.13. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I stumbled on this verse a couple of years back, and I'm sure I've read it like a thousand times. Um, but, you know, those verses sometimes that you just read, and in that moment, that was what you needed. Um, and that was this verse for me, because I just feel like sometimes, God, I just want to please you so much. I want to do what honors you. I want to do what's right. I have all the desire there. And then he says, I also not only give you the desire, I give you the power to accomplish that task, Right? So, amen, because he's a good God like that. He's a good father. So, my husband loves sports, as you all know, and he's grown up playing sports and basketball and, you know, every, everything that you could imagine, sports-wise. So <laughs> yes, the tables have turned. You tell stories about me, I tell stories about you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so, um, so yes, grew up playing sports. So, can you imagine, say, maybe like as a five-year-old, he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I really want to play basketball. And his dad's like, all right, son, you can do it. I believe in you. You're going to be amazing. You're going to be the best basketball player there could possibly be. You go do it. And that was it. Like, he, you know, that was it. He just pumped him up, gave him some encouragement, and sent him off and never did anything else to help him become a basketball player. He never took him, let's say he never took him to, uh, to practices, never took him to games, never bought him gear. Never bought him shoes, all of that, right? That, would, that really wouldn't 
help very much, right? And that wouldn't really, you know, do the job. But he did. You know, thankfully, he had, he had a good dad who took him to games, took him to practices. He gave him the tools to succeed in becoming what he wanted to be. And that's the kind of God that we have. He's a good father. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he gives us the desire to serve him, and he gives us the power. Even just having that desire in itself is a miracle, right? Like we come to Christ, all of a sudden we're, we're saved, we're changed, and all of a sudden our desires flip. Like we want to be in a program. We, we want to actually know what it's like to serve God and to, um, to do what honors him. So amen, right? He gives us the desires and the power to do what pleases him. So um, what is the power? What is this power that God gives us to do what pleases him? It's his Holy Spirit. Amen? And who is the Holy Spirit? It is the Spirit of God. God himself dwelling in us. He's omnipresent. When Jesus was here on this earth, he could only be in one place at one time. He was fully God but fully man, so he was confined to our realms of time and space. And he said, it's better for you that I go so I can send my spirit so he can be in all of us, empowering all of us, right? Um, and he said, um, the word says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Amen. So when we get saved, we become a new person. We get baptized. That's the symbol of our old life dying and being raised back to life with Christ. We're a new creation. So we become a new person. We get baptized as a symbol. And then third, we receive the Holy Spirit so we can walk as that new person. Amen. Um, let's see. Yeah, it says uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells inside of you? It is impossible for us to do this on our own. It's impossible. This, it's too heavy of a task. We're, we are flesh. We are human. And we cannot at all completely fulfill this call that God has on us to be made into the image of his son. It's as if you were told, okay, go push this semi-truck from one end of the parking lot to the other. Just go push it. That's pretty impossible, unless you're one of those crazy bodybuilder guys that, you know, have you seen those shows where they, like, attach the belt to their, and they, like, walk in, and they're trying to pull the truck, like, across the, which is so ridiculous. Um, so it, it'd be like that. But the engine of the truck is like the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. We just turn it on, and we go. And it doesn't make it easy. It's not about that. It's about making it possible. So... Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the different roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. So I'm going to give you eight different jobs that he has in working in our lives. And the first one is the counselor or the advocate. And it says in John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or counselor who will never leave you. And it's counsel, that word there is actually a Greek word for, and it's uh, the Greek word parakletos or something like that. And it actually means legal counsel. This is a legal term here. 
And, um, and you know what, this is just about walking with the Spirit daily. It's about creating space in our lives to invite him in and for us to just do life with him. And, you know, talking to him constantly, bringing him into our situations, asking for wisdom, um, inviting him into our space, thoughts, questions, our struggles, our disappointments. Um, and I have a story about that, too. Um, I, as you know, we have three crazy boys. And um, I come from a family of five girls. I did not have brothers. So I really don't know what I'm doing, like, as far as raising the boys thing. I, I became pregnant with our third son. I was like, it's all you. Like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we have three boys. And I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, uh, we, we did want a girl <laughs> at some point in the career of motherhood. You know, I would have loved to have a girl. Um, and uh, when I became pregnant with our third son, and I almost did a reveal party. I'm so glad I did not, um, you know, gender reveal. Um, and I found out that we were pregnant with a third son. And let me tell you, I wept. <laughs> and that's not to say I'm not grateful. I know a lot of people really struggle with fertility. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so completely grateful for our sons. And we never change it now. You know, but in the moment, you know, I was sad for a minute. And now I'm, 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 I'm good. You know, I'm totally on board with the, the boy mom thing. But it, all of that to say is that in that moment, I did have a little mini grieving period, you know, that I wouldn't get to experience what it would be like to raise a girl. And, um, and so I was, just, I was just talking to God about it one day. I'm like, God, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm sad. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it didn't help that, like, when I was pregnant, like, everybody was prophesying over us that I was going to have a girl. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure they meant well. But um, so anyways, I'm, you know, I'm just talking to God. About, I'm bringing him into my disappointment, you know. And it wasn't that I was disappointed in him. It was just that I just had this moment. And, and uh, you know, I invited God into that space. And God in his kindness, um, you know, he comforted me. He didn't shame me. He didn't say, well, it could be worse, you know, or whatever. You know, and, and it's funny. One of the things that I um, told God that I was sad about was, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to have a girl, so I'm not going to be able to to plan a wedding. I mean, how silly is that? I know. But, you know, um, I'm gonna, I like planning events and all of that. And so that was just one specific thing that I remember saying to God, that I'm not going to be able to, to plan a wedding for my daughter. And, um, and he totally randomly brought me to this scripture. And it's Isaiah 49:18. It says, lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. And I thought, how kind is God, you know, that in, my, in that moment of, you know, me just being completely honest, you know, maybe I shouldn't have felt that way, but, but I did. And so I was completely honest with God, and he met me, and he said, here, this is your comfort, you know. Amen? God is so kind. So number one, he's our counselor. And number two, he convicts. He convicts. Thank God for that, because sometimes we wouldn't even know we're in the wrong, right? Um, it says, John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. And there have been times where I couldn't even, um, you know, worship God one day because, you know, there was something either I had done or something maybe I didn't know that I did, um, you know, and I would come to God with my worship or even try to pray 
and I just felt that block. And, and he would say, go fix this, you know, with this person. And, and in his word, he says, you know, when you come to the altar with your offering, if you have something between you and your brother, leave your offering, go fix that thing, and then come back. Amen? Um, amen. And when the Spirit convicts, it's not to make you feel shame. It's not to make you feel less than, like you can't ever measure up. It's, it's not for that. It's actually to give you freedom because he knows that our, our sinful desires will lead us down a path of destruction. And so he convicts so that he can bring us into freedom. Second uh, Corinthians 3.17, for the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And I was driving in the car one day with the boys, and a song came on, and Liam goes, Mom, is this a song about Jesus? And I was like, oh, why, buddy? Why, why do you ask? And he said, you know, when we're just singing songs about Jesus, and it just makes you feel so free, like you want to run around, and there's nothing holding you back. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. My six-year-old, you know, has this amazing insight because the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the hearts of children. And he could equate the presence of God with freedom. And that's what God wants to bring us. And that's why he convicts. Amen. All right, so number two, he convicts. Number three, he points to Jesus. Amen. And it says um, in verse 17 of John chapter 14, he says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So Jesus points to the Father, right? When he was on this earth, he said, if you've seen, the f- if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we just heard that scripture this morning from Paul. Amen? Pastor Paul. And um, so it's Jesus' job to point us to the Father, and it's the Holy Spirit's role to point us to Jesus. Um, number four, he is our teacher. John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Amen. He's our teacher. All right. So number five, he is our reminder. And I so love this one because I'm pretty forgetful. And uh, in John 14, 26, he says, and he will remind you of everything I've told you. What a comfort for the disciples, right? Because Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's preparing them for his departure. He's like, my job here on this earth is almost completed. My time here is is almost done. But I'm sending the Holy Spirit when I leave. And he's going to remind you of everything that I taught you while I was here, while you were walking with me. Amen. And there are those times where um, um, he will remind us. And he'll just bring us the right scripture or the right word in a moment where we really need it. That's, you know, that's his job, and he's so good at that. And um, one of the most powerful times in my life that this was the case was when we lost my sister to cancer. And um, so, I come, like I said, I come from a family of five girls, and um, the sister who was just above me, she was about a year and a half, almost two years older than me, she got cancer when she was in sixth grade. And so it was um, just a really long battle. And um, they, uh, we took her, my parents took her to the doctor for like a year trying to figure out what was wrong. And finally they diagnosed her with a brain tumor. And so she had surgeries. And for the next seven years, she went through, you know, remission, and then it would come back, and, and all of this, and different surgeons and things, and she even lost her eyesight because of the chemotherapy, so she went completely blind, 
and you know our f- whole family had to learn how to adapt and live with somebody who couldn't see so you know she would need assistance with just about everything you know you'd have to remember things like shut the doors so she wouldn't run into them the cabinets help pick out clothes because she couldn't see colors and know what looked good you know so um, it was just a time where it really um, um, built the faith of my family and God was faithful so faithful. And thankfully, my parents, you know, they serve God. They took us to church. They made sure that we knew, um, you know, God was real. And and all of us, you know, um, had to have our own journey of faith. And, you know, from a young age, I just remember thinking, all right, you know, God got very real very fast. It was either, you know, he's not real and he doesn't exist and this is all worthless or if he is real, I need him right now because this is too hard. And so by his spirit, he drew me in and he taught me who he was. And I grew up with my normal of a sick family member and a family that just held tight together and grew up with that. And that was the way in which God revealed himself to me. And... Um, so that's just the work of the Holy Spirit, our everyday lives, and whatever situation we may find ourselves in, allowing him to reveal who he is in the context of whatever our situation is. And I remember when she was, um, um, uh, I, I think around 18, I was a senior in high school, and um, the doctors just told us basically that uh, the cancer had returned and there was basically no hope. There was nothing more that they could do. Um, and so we gathered together as a family, and um, she just said, you know what? I don't want to you know, keep doing this anymore. I don't want to keep fighting. So God's either going to heal me completely or he's going to take me home. And she said, I'm scared, but I trust God. Those are her exact words. And that right there is such a perfect evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. For somebody in, in that much of a struggle and that age to be able to say, I trust my whole life to God, you know. And so um, I remember the night that she passed away. It was just a couple months after that that she ended up passing away. And um, my uh, parents were at the hospital overnight, and my sisters and I were at home sleeping. And they came home, and they woke us up, and they said, you know, she, uh, she passed away. And... Um, and so they just hugged us, and, you know, everybody kind of went back to bed. And, um, and I just sat there with my little sister, and we started praying. And, um, and I just remember an overwhelming sense of the love of God come over me. I mean, it was, it was so overwhelming, and that's all I could say. And I just get, God, thank you. You love us. You love us. And, um, you know, how strange, you know, that that's, that's the thing that came to mind in that moment, um, you know, of all the things that the Holy Spirit could have reminded me, you're more than a conqueror, you know, you're going to make it, you know, all of that. It, it, it wasn't that, it was, I love you, I love you. And I was reading um, about the story of Lazarus in John 11, and and it really helped me understand and put it into perspective. And when Jesus heard about the fact that Lazarus had died, he, it's, the word says, 
in verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And so that just let me know, you know, the trials that we have in our life, it's not for lack of love on God's part. Because what's the first thing we usually think of when we are going through something extremely hard? God must not love me, right? So this, is, this was the reminder, I still love you. This is not because I don't love you. There is a plan that I'm working in all of this. There is a plan. Amen? So he is our reminder. Amen. All right, and number six, he is a seal in the lives of believers. He's a seal. In the ancient world, a seal was a legal signature attesting ownership and validating what was sealed. The Holy Spirit is our mark of adoption as God's children. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his followers that they could be confident in their salvation. It's kind of like when you buy a car and you go make a deposit, right? And then you make payments on it until, until you have it paid off in full. So the Holy Spirit is God's deposit within us, saying, be assured of your salvation. Um, all right. So number seven, he helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. Amen. It says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, and the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And I love this verse, and I'm so thankful for it. And there have been so many times where I come to God, I'm like, God, I do not know how to pray for this person. I do not know how to pray for this situation. Would you teach me how to pray? Would you teach me how to pray your perfect will? And the Holy Spirit then also prays on our behalf. How awesome is that? It's like having the best prayer person on your prayer team. You know those times where you're going through something hard and you know exactly who to call? Yes, that's my mom. <laughs> I know she has like a direct line to heaven. And I know if I, if I call her, she is on her knees immediately. So he, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and helps us in our weakness. Amen? All right. Number eight, he distributes gifts to the body of Christ. Acts 2 Verse 38, and this is Peter addressing the crowd on the day of Pentecost, right after the first time the Holy Spirit fell, and um, he's addressing the crowd, all of the Jews now. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't say the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said the gift. And so I want to emphasize to you first that the gift is the Spirit himself. Amen. And then it is the role of the Holy Spirit to distribute different kinds of gifts to each one of us. To each one of us. Did you know you have a gift? You have different gifts. Every one of you. Nobody is excluded. And it says, um, let's see. Yeah, there are different gifts that the Spirit gives. And, and it's not about spiritual status. There are no levels in Christ. We are all one. The word says there is nor slave, nor free, nor Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female. We are all one in Christ. So a spiritual gift is not to distinguish you apart from your brother. Your spiritual gift is actually not for you. It's for your brother. 
And so the power that we get from the Holy Spirit, the power is for us to live, but the gift is for you to serve. The gift is for your brother. So if you have a gift of prophecy, that's to build up your brother, to build up his faith, to encourage him. If you have the gift of wisdom, that's for the body. And why does the Spirit do that? It says he, dist- he distributes gifts as he sees fit. He does that so that nobody's an island. He does that so that nobody thinks they can do this on their own. It says we're a body, so a hand cannot function if it's cut off from the rest of the body. He does that so we learn to become interdependent with one another because you have something I need, and I have something that you need. And so we all need to work together and learn to live together and learn to be together and learn to love together. Amen? All right. So number eight, he distributes gifts to the body of Christ. And I just want to say also that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time experience. Amen? Yes. When the, when the Spirit came at Pentecost for the first time, um, you know, on the, on, on the people as a whole, you know, poured out, um, that, was, that was not the end. You know, that was the first coming. But it says after that that, um, you know, they continued to pray. They continued to meet together. They continued to worship and fast and just as they went along with life. And um, so it's not a one-time experience. Seek to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit in your journey. Um, and in John 14, Jesus explains his plan to send the Holy Spirit. And then right after that in John 15, he goes into the importance of abiding in Christ. And, um, you know, why would he do that if, if a one-time encounter with God was like the end-all, be-all? No, you know, he's, he talks about the importance of abiding in Christ. He says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit and then abide in me. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Amen. So, how do we get this power? Ask. It says in James 4, you have not because you ask not. Amen? So we just have to ask, and there's always more of God. There's always more of God. And I want to read in um, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 10. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Or another translation says, he's given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. So get to know him. Get in his word. Seek him pursue him invite him into your daily lives get to know him and watch his spirit being poured out onto your life and then to go on it says um, through these he has given us his great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. So he goes on and on 
And what's the purpose of all of this? If you, if you just develop in knowledge and build knowledge on top of knowledge, you're going to develop pride, and you're, gonna, you're going to lean on your own understanding. But you must add self-control to your knowledge. And if you continue in self-control, it's going to eventually develop endurance. And if you continue on in endurance, it will automatically produce godliness. Godliness can even quickly turn into self-righteousness if you aren't careful. So build affection on top of and love on, for others on top of your godliness. Amen. And verse 8, the more you grow, then you'll become productive in your knowledge of Jesus. So what does that mean? We can actually be unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus? Yes, if we're not continuously building on what God has already done. So we want to continue to pursue the work of God in our lives. And um, sometimes, you know, we might feel stuck in that building process. And in those moments, honestly, when I come to the Lord, I hear him say, stop trying and start abiding. And sometimes we just need to stop all of our trying and our, we get stuck in our frustration and we need to just stop and remember it's all about abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. Amen. And um, I, the worship team can go ahead and come back. And just in closing, I want to share a couple more things. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, they will act religious. And he's talking about um, people who have come to God but just, uh, you know, only have a form of godliness. They haven't, they haven't fully surrendered their lives. He says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Another translation says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And then it goes on to say, have nothing to do with these people. So we want to be a people who are close to God, who continuously invite the work of the Spirit into our lives. Amen. And in closing, I just want to share one more thing. And uh, when I knew I was going to speak, um, I kind of tossed around a couple of different ideas, and this one just kept coming back to me. I just felt like this, this is what God wanted to say today, and I felt like this is even where we're at as a body with the, the way the power of God is moving in our services. And um, so just to give you some practical, you know, um, practical things to walk it out. But uh, so when I decided to speak on this, I thought I need to go back and read a little bit of The Cross and the Switchblade because I know that David Wilkerson had devoted a few chapters in the book to the work of the Holy Spirit and the lives of the people who came into the program. So this is back in the day, right, 50s, early 60s, when this whole thing was just a grand experiment. And there was no program, there was no format. There weren't even detox centers. They just had hospitals. And, and most of the guys that came into the program didn't even you know, go that route and detox in the hospital. They detox here, just totally cold. I'm sure you know this. I'm, have you guys all read the book? Yes? Awesome. Okay. So, you know what I'm saying. But um, what struck me is just that, you know, back then, there was such a dependence on the Holy Spirit because they didn't know what they were doing. And now it's good that, that we have structure. It's good that we have a program. It's amazing that we have counseling and we need all of that. But on top of that, we, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us how to walk in that. Because the Spirit brings deliverance, but then it is our job to 
steward that deliverance. And that's called discipleship. So we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. So I just want to take some time now for our altar time just to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And just um, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Paul. And um, I just want to um, give us an opportunity to respond to the word. And um, so go ahead and just close your eyes and we're going to pray.